This week on Myths and Legends, it's the saga of Grettir the Strong from 10th century Iceland. It's a big episode, and it contains glam zombies, tragic bear high fives, and, of course, nude Viking kebabs. If you wake up to a cobra sucking on your tongue, you might be dating this week's creature. This is Myths and Legends, episode 170A, Good for Nothing. This is a podcast where I tell stories from mythology and folklore. Some are incredibly popular stories you think you know, but with surprising origins, and others are stories that might be new to you, but are definitely worth a listen. This is a story that will sound very familiar at first. We told one snippet of the main character's life in episode 94, A Very Viking Christmas, And as promised, we're back to tell his whole story. You do not need to have heard that one-off episode. This is Grettir's whole life, so it's going to tell his whole story. That last episode was just a fun tale from it. And we'll go back over that today. Basically, we're in 10th century Scandinavia. And the times, they are a-changing. The Viking Age is winding down. And though there are still berserkers and raiders, they're finding fewer and fewer places to raid. Their countrymen are now kings and farmers in the places they used to ravage. And the religion whose monasteries they sacked, Christianity, is only a handful of years away from being declared the official religion of Iceland. Anyway, that's where we're going to jump in. In Iceland, to a boy named Grettir, having some problems. good for nothing. Those were the words that echoed in Grettir's head as the ball sailed over it. They were the words that his father had said to him in the last real conversation the two had. The 10-year-old Grettir had asked for a hard and manly job, so he had been tasked with giving his dad back rubs every night. He had been late. I don't know, something about giving your Viking dad a hard and manly massage, working out the knots on a sweaty, absolutely not recently showered back was really unappealing. The women in the family were around a fire in the great hall, combing wool, and Grettir's father had said if the boy wasn't such a layabout, maybe he would get somewhere in life. Grettir, the 10-year-old, noted that it wasn't a good idea to goad the obstinate. You're good for nothing, the father mumbled, then said the area just below his shoulder blade itched. Would Grettir scratch it? Grettir clenched his jaw. Oh, he would scratch it. So the wool combs are pieces of wool with long, straight, sharp pieces of metal attached. Like, think of a line of nails you would use for a house or something, and you're basically there. Grettir seethed, good for nothing. If dad wanted his back scratched, Grettir would scratch his dad's back. He picked up what is essentially a small board full of nails and ran it along his father's back. Grettir and his father had a complicated relationship. If there was ever anyone born to be a Viking, it was Grettir. Even Grettir, though, was born too late. The Viking Age was ending. The travelers from Scandinavia had gone south and put a continent to heal. They were now kings, farmers, settlers. When Grettir had been asked to watch the geese and goslings, an insulting job in itself, the little ones wouldn't stay where Grettir said. Later on that day, the travelers found a field of dead geese when Grettir decided that the birds would never move again. He was forced to watch Kingala, his father's favorite horse, 
the mare had the uncanny ability to sense when a snowstorm was coming and would lead the herd out in every other weather. Gretier decided to be manly about it and wore a thin cloak. So he got tired of standing out in a cold field. He decided to make Kingala a bit colder by flaying off the skin on her back. His father had to put her down after that. Now, Gretier was playing ball with his friends. Except that Autumn kept hitting it over his head. Autumn was five years older, yet Gretier was just as tall. Everyone laughed as the ball flew over Gretier's head. Again, they were laughing at him. Good for nothing. He was good for nothing. Gretier returned with the ball and spiked it in Autumn's face. The boy, blood streaming down his face, screamed threats at Gretier. Gretier smiled. Did Autumn want to make good on them? The fight only ended when Autumn kneed Gretier in the groin and the boy collapsed, giving his friends a chance to jump on top of him, giving Auden a chance to run away. Gretier was only 16 when he first stood before a judge. He smirked. Everyone knew what type of man Gretier was, they said. So, of course, they didn't believe him when he said a man attacked him out on the moors with a hatchet over a food bag, that he was just defending himself when he turned the hatchet and killed his attacker. Gretier could be the type of person to grovel before the judge. I mean, the judge was his dad's friend even. Like, he had the unethical nepotism hookup, but he still sneered. Sneered at the judge. Sneered at the family of the man he had killed. Sneered at the world. He wouldn't play by their rules. All Gretier had to do was apologize and pay the wear guild. The man priced to make amends for his crime, but he didn't. So, he was declared an outlaw and exiled from his home, Iceland, for three years. It's said that many wished him a safe journey, but few wished him a safe return. His mother found him the day he left. Gretier had asked his father for the family sword, but he was met with silence. He approached the cloaked figure on the road, and she unwrapped the sword. She said that he had made mistakes, but she loved him. She knew there was more to him than everyone said. He should take this sword and become someone great. As Gretier left, he tried to believe her. But as we'll see, maybe the temptation to be something else is a bit too strong. Gretier blinked a long blink. Come on in, boys. The two berserkers looked at each other. Uh, what? They had come to kill a prominent landowner. You see, there was a practice at this time where berserkers, the men who would put on bear shirts and then go into battle with just the bear shirts, well, now there were fewer and fewer battles. So they took their talents back home where they would roam around Scandinavia, challenging farmers and landowners to duels, duels that they would absolutely win because they were jacked guys who wore nothing but bear shirts into battle. Well, Thorfinn, the wealthy landowner for whom Gretir was working, petitioned the Earl, Earl Svein, to make this practice illegal for incredibly obvious reasons, and voila, the walking remnants of a bygone age couldn't just kill people with impunity and take their stuff. It's some common sense reform that no one really opposed, except for Ogman the Evil and Thorir Paunch, the two berserkers, who now showed up at Thorfinn's door. Ogman the Evil's name really seems on the nose, but Thorir Paunch is just unfortunate. 
you know that it's like a prominent paunch if it's literally the second worst guy in Scandinavia and that's his nickname. Anyway, Thorfinn campaigned for their outlaw and he got it. The problem? They knew where Thorfinn lived. It was Christmas Eve and Thorfinn was out. Gretier, Thorfinn's employee, worker, farmhand guy, opened the door. Gretier stepped out and closed the door behind him. Gretier looked to Ogman the evil with his, I don't know, goatee and scar over his eye. And he turned to the other guy, who was obviously Thorir Paunch. He said he knew who they were, and they came at a good time. They came to take their revenge on Thorfinn, right? They nodded. Yeah, and he was cool with that? Gretir nodded too. Oh yeah, he was an outlaw too. Good for nothing. He was toiling away for some rich guy. While these men, oh, these men took what they wanted. He wanted that life. He said that now was the perfect time to take their revenge on Thorfinn. He had left for the holidays with all 30 freedmen. It was only Gretir, Thorfinn's wife and daughter, and a handful of handmaids and other servants. So the two men would have their pick. Ackman said that they would take the wife and daughter. The others could have the servants. Gretir grinned. Others? Thorir whistled, and nine more men emerged from the forest. Gretir smiled wide. Now this was a party. Ha <laughs> ha! Spoken like a true man, Gretir laughed, when Ogman the Evil said that Thorfinn's wife and daughter, and all the other women of the house, would have a real man tonight. They wouldn't be able to complain about being neglected. The mother glared at Ogmund, but he stroked her face. He would help her relax. Gretir poured them more drinks as the men piled their wet cloaks on the floor. They had two men on each door that they cycled through so everyone could party while making sure that certain members didn't leave early. And Gretir laughed alongside them, keeping the ale flowing. Thorfinn's wife spat that he betrayed them. She told her husband that they shouldn't take in some Icelandic outlaw. Gretir sneered at her, but couldn't make eye contact with Thorfinn's young daughter. Time for bed, Thorir Paunch yelled and rose from the table. He swayed a bit, but steadied himself and pointed to Thorfinn's wife. Let's go. She and her daughter bolted, and he tried to chase after them, but uh, the room was a little spinny, and he ended up on his back after he sprawled over the table. Gretir helped him up. He pointed to the eastern wing of the mansion. There should be rooms down there. Get in and get ready, and he'd bring the women to them. They patted Gretir on the back. He was a good guy. They might have a place on their crew for a good guy. The others in the crew asked where Thorfinn kept his clothes. They had been rowing all day, and they were caked in salt and sweat. Gretir looked nervously at the two leaders he would keep waiting, but walked a half dozen men out to the shed. When he came back in, he threw his shoulder against the door of the food store, finding Thorfinn's family huddled in there with the remaining handmaids. The wife rushed him with a knife. But Gretir caught her and twisted her hand. Yeah, we're going to need more than that, he said, handing the knife back to her. She gasped. We? He said they didn't have much time. The leaders were naked in bed. He locked five of them out in the shed, as they did their little Viking fashion show with Thorfinn's clothes, but it wouldn't be long till they realized that the door wasn't jammed. She thanked him and told him where Thorfinn kept the family weapons and armor. She took a deep breath. 
She was sorry. For calling me a good-for-nothing outlaw? Gardier finished. Yeah, he didn't say she was wrong about that. He handed her the knife. As soon as the doors were clear, run for it. He looked at the rest of the people in the pantry. Stay safe. And if they wanted to kill anyone on their way out, that would really help him out. Thorier was reclining on the bed with his come-hither paunch when the fully armed and armored Gretier walked through the bedroom door. He yelled and went for his weapons, and it was only by happy, gruesome accident that Ogman the Evil came to his aid. And in the scuffle, Gretier stabbed Thorier right in the paunch, skewering both outlaw leaders with the same spear. I don't know how either of them envisioned going out, but nude outlaw kebab probably wasn't very high on the list. He easily took out the guards at the front door and gave the signal in the pantry for the hostages to make a run for it, and he found his way out the back. There, the men were looking at the shed. Huh, what was going on? The men of the shed, comfortably draped in Thorfinn's clothes, finally found that they had been locked in. Greater said that the door stuck sometimes. Come on, he would need their help. Two more dead outlaws later, and Gretier approached the structure. The men had kicked out the door and charged through, only to see a fully armed and armored Gretier waiting for them. Gretier found the last of them down by the docks, trying to get his boat out and into the water by himself. Because of all this, Gretier was a hero. Thorfinn's family told of his prowess, how he tricked the outlaws to get them to trust him and throw them off their guard. Thorfinn rewarded him with his family's magical short sword. Gretier was known throughout the land for something other than his violence and his anger. Well, uh, still his violence and anger, but in the right context. Violence and anger when defending people from vengeful rapists? Good. Violence and anger when babysitting geese and horses? might want to take it down a notch or 20. Of course, people had to test Gretier's power. So one day, while he was out cutting wood, a guy named Bjorn took his cloak. Now, if someone goes all John Wick and kills 11 of the country's most dangerous outlaws single-handedly on the same night, maybe don't prank him by leaving his favorite cloak in a bear cave. The bear had been bearizing the countryside, and no one could stop it. And when Gretier looked in, yep, the giant bear was curled up on the outlaw's cloak. All right, then. He quite literally poked the bear a couple of times, and it woke up with a roar. It raised its bear claw to swat down at Gretir, and Gretir cut it off. Yeah, he just drew the sword his mom gave him and sliced the claw off. I like to think that the bear stood there, looking at his stump for a second or two, thinking, wow, did that just happen? That just happened. Well, it turned out that that was a really good way to take care of bears, because when the bear put its weight on the stump to swat at Gretir with its other paw, it lost balance and rolled over. The sword that was sharp enough to cut off a bear claw in one go was definitely sharp enough to deal with the bear's underbelly, so that's how Gretir got his cloak back. Slamming the bear's severed paw down on the table in front of Bjorn was the way he got the respect of the village. But even though Gretir tried, everywhere he went, strife followed. He was regarded as a hero after what happened at Thorfinn's. But for some reason, he always felt the need to make things difficult for himself. To just 
take all that goodwill and regard and set it on fire. For example, Bjorn tried to make amends after Gretir returned with his cloak and the decidedly not sweet bear claw, but Gretir didn't accept it, telling Bjorn that he was coming for the man. And he did, right then, chasing Bjorn down to the beach and killing him on the spot. After a month-long feud between Bjorn's friends and Gretir, which included the Norwegian Earl cursing Gretir's name, things settled down. But time and time again, Gretir showed that if the world wasn't going to try to destroy him, if people weren't going to push him away and hate him, Gretir would gladly pick up the slack. When he worked on a ship, everyone there grew to appreciate his massive size and work ethic. So what did he do? Recite obscene poetry about everyone on board and their wives. And I should mention too that Gretir is referred to as an obscene warrior poet, which I wish was a specialization when I was an English major, taking poetry workshops. Anyway, by this time, Gretir's exile from Iceland was over. He was no longer an outlaw, and he could go home. And when Gretir went home as a hero for the first time in two years, what did he do first? Make peace with his estranged father? Greet his worried mother? Nope. He took his horse out, got dressed in his finest clothes from Thorfinn, and went to see Auden. If you remember, Auden was the slightly bigger boy at the top of the episode who inadvertently humiliated Gretir in a ball game and then kneed him in the groin to get away. When the now towering Gretir arrived at Auden's home, he let himself in and proceeded to take a nap on the man's bench. When Auden returned with his arms full of bags of cheese curds, Gretir snickered as he tripped the man in the dark room sending the curds spilling out of the bag onto the floor. I want to fight you, Gretir said, standing up. Auden stood, wiping the cheese curds from his shirt. What? First, hi, Gretir. Second, they were adults now. Like, what was Gretir's deal? Gretir said he didn't care. He didn't forget about the ball game. He wanted to fight Auden. Auden's smile faded. When he saw Gretir was serious, I mean, that was like high school. Why didn't Gretir just let it go? Okay, wow, seriously, Gretir hadn't changed at all. Okay, just give him a minute to deal with the food. Gretir smirked. Oh, no servants? <laughs> That's cute. Despite Gretir just spending years as a wandering outlaw. Auden looked up. Oh, did Gretir want to help? Okay, here you go. He tossed the open bag full of watery curds into Gretir's arms. Now to Gretir, who had worn the clothes that Thorfinn had given him as a gift to try to flex on his old towny enemy, Auden might as well have just stabbed him in the stomach. His rage was visible through the curds, and he tackled Auden. Gretir might have actually killed Auden had he just been a bit quieter about it, because friends and family heard the two grappling in the Great Hall, and by grappling I mean Gretir tearing Auden's weapons off and slamming his head against stuff, and they broke up the fight. Look, when stuff happens to you as a kid, it can stick with you, and being neat in the groin hurts, but Gretir should really have just let it go, because the optics of it all really didn't do Gretir any favors. Auden was a well-respected member of the community now, a gentleman, like, that's what they call him, a gentleman. That was before the term applied to pretty much any male. Gretir, though, was a murderer, who just got back from exile. I mean, it also didn't help that he got in fights at a horse show and also nearly killed a childhood friend when the guy didn't take him sailing. Gretir could see it happening again. They were turning against him. He wouldn't let them turn against him. He could see there wasn't a place for him here. 
he started to fear that there might not be a place for him anywhere. So Grittier left. There wasn't any controversy or murders for once. His friend, Jokel, asked him where he was going to go and what he was going to do. Grittier said that he was going to go prove himself. He had been hearing about a Draugr in the north, one of the reanimated dead who had been terrorizing a farmer and left a valley desolate. He might try his hand against this Draugr. Jokel stopped him. Look, evil begets evil. Taking on a creature like that, it wasn't worth it. Fate and fortune don't always go hand in hand. Grettir looked to the ground. Yeah, maybe that's the point. His friend stopped. Wait, what? Grettir shook it off. Look, peril waits at a man's door. As the original says, we all die. We can live in fear, but consider what fate you yourself will meet in the end. If Grettir lived, he will be a hero. If he died, well, at least he went out against someone better. Joko put his hand on his friend's shoulder. Grettir, he, he didn't have anything to prove. He was home. He should stay with the people who cared about him. He killed 11 berserkers in one night by himself. He killed a bear in its cave. He had already won renown across Scandinavia, and everyone knew there was no man who was his match. Grettir didn't know what he was bringing into his life when he went up against the sword of evil. He didn't need to do this. There was a flash of a sad smile before Grettir inhaled. Well, they would see. For long-time listeners, this is where we catch up to the story we've already told on this podcast in episode 94 A Very Viking Christmas. To give a summary, a guy named Thorhall was a farmer with a ghost problem, and that morphed into a Draugr problem when Glam, his surly worker, stormed off on Christmas Eve and got himself frozen to the ground. Glam wasn't exactly mourned. Of course, his festering, bloated body disappeared, and he turned into Glam Zombie, which isn't an 80s hair metal band, but a particularly nasty Draugr, the old Norse version of The Walking Dead. Anyway, Glam Zombie was so violent and ruthless that, over the next few years, everyone had fled from the farm except Thorhall and his wife. They were working themselves to the bone, but their farm was overgrown, and, as winter loomed, so did Zombie Glam on the periphery. It was when Zombie Glam lifted a bull over his head bodily and broke its back over a stone wall that Thorhall and his wife finally fled their home. Behind them, from the valley, they heard the cries of the livestock they left behind. Then, nothing. Enter our hero? Anti-hero? He came running to where Thorhall and his wife were couch surfing and said he would get rid of their Draugr problem. Thorhall looked Gretir up and down. I mean, yeah, this guy was big, but Glam Zombie broke a bull's back over a stone wall. So, you know, here's a waiver. Gretir would just initial here, here, sign here, thanks. Also, he was going to want to park that horse somewhere else. Super sad, but horses always die when someone went up against Glam Zombie. I mean, this guy was big, but Zombie Glam broke a bull's back. Super sad, but horses always die when they go up against Zombie Glam. Grettier, lacking no small degree of swagger, said that horses are easy to come by, which has to be categorically false in medieval Iceland, but whatever. The farmer wasn't wrong, though. They rode to his old house unlocked it, and there, 
Gradier spent the night. For the first night, Zombie Glam didn't show up. But the second night was different. They heard a scuffle, and in the morning, they found the horse in the front yard. Every bone in his body was broken. Gradier said that just a look at Zombie Glam was worth his horse. And the third night, he got that look. We've talked about this story at length, but that night, after Zombie Glam dropped down from the roof and attacked the waiting and armed Gretier in bed, Gretier got a look at the Draugr. When they crashed through a wall and their fight spilled out onto the overgrown lawn, the clouds parted and the full moon shined. For everything Gretier would do and survive in his life, he said that the image of Zombie Glam was the only thing that ever unnerved him. And it literally did. Gretier's strength deserted him and he collapsed back onto the ground, unable to draw his sword. And Zombie Glam, in his moment of triumph, wouldn't you know it, he started monologuing. His rotten, black teeth formed a hideous smile as the bloated, decaying body squished over to Gretier, who was laying prone on the ground. You've gone to great lengths to confront me, Gretier, Zombie Glam said. He told Gretier that he would let the man live. But previously... Gretier would have attained the strength of Thor himself. Now, he would only ever have half of that. Glam couldn't take away what strength Gretier had attained, but he could ordain that Gretier wouldn't grow any stronger. Gretier had gained renown for his deeds, but from here on out, outlawry and killings would be his lot, and most of his deeds would bring misfortune and improvidence. He would be made an outlaw and be forever to live alone and out of doors. And Glam's last and final curse was this. Glam's eyes would always be before Gretier's sight. Whenever he closed his eyes to rest, Glam's cloudy, rotting, sinister eyes would be staring back at him. When Glam finished speaking this curse, Gretier felt his limbs fill with life. He leapt up from the ground and, in one swipe, cut off Glam's head. The Draugr didn't even resist him. And for the rest of Gretier's life, he would wonder if the Draugr let him do it. He nestled Glam's head snugly in the Draugr's buttocks, which was actually, I guess, a ritual to keep the dead from rising. I mean, probably because they didn't want to rise to have their nose in their own... yeah. And in the morning, Thorhall found Gretier sitting beside a fire in what remained of his ancestral home. He saw the body of Glam sitting out back. Ha! Face and buttocks, nice. Gretier rose slowly and limped over to Thor Hall. Was it morning yet? Good. It was finished. Zombie Glam was dead. The farm was safe. Thor Hall thought that Gretier might just be tired or something because as he left, he could have sworn he saw Gretier's hand tremble. worthy man had left the world. Asmund Greylocks, Gretier's father, was dead. And now, so was the man who delivered the news. Gretier learned the not-so-misfortunate news in the longhouse between his home and Norway. Earl Svine, who had banished Gretier, had himself been defeated by a rival and banished from Norway. Eh, life comes at you fast in medieval Scandinavia. Since Gretier had been one of Svein's strongest and most prominent enemies, he was invited to come and meet the new king, King Olaf. 
the man who had delivered the news about Asmund just swaggered in one day. And Gretir was deep in his cups by the time Thorbjorn arrived. It, it helped when nighttime came. When Gretir saw, saw him. Thorbjorn said that Asmund had, quote, gone senile, and he didn't meet a great end. He suffocated in the smoke from his own fireplace. He left his sons, Atli and Eluji, in charge of the farm, alongside their mother. People told Thorbjorn that Gretir, you know, the guy that killed the Draugr, the bear, and 11 berserkers on the same night, Gretir wouldn't take too well to that news, in the cavalier way Thorbjorn was talking about the man's family. Thorbjorn poked the bear, or the guy who killed the bear, saying that if Gretir had something he wanted to do, or say, he should do it. Because Gretir, even for all his power, couldn't change the day the man died. Gretir thought about that. That tracked. But, you know, that day could be this day. Gretir rose and raised his sword. Thorbjorn drew his sword to parry, but Gretir didn't mess around with any of that. He cut through the man's wrist and his neck. When Thorbjorn's head rolled, Gretir sheathed the sword and went back to his mead. When Gretir and his now sizable posse reached Norway, they were pummeled by freezing rain as soon as they landed. As they remained huddled in their ship, next to a ship of merchants doing the exact same thing, they looked across the channel to a warm and glowing hut. After way too much debate over who was going to swim across the channel, they didn't want to unmoor and risk losing the boat, and asked to borrow some fire, Gretir piped up. Once, there would have been too many men wanting to go. Now they were all scared. The men blinked. Swimming across a freezing channel in the dead of night during a storm? Yeah. If Gretir wanted to die, he could give it a shot. Gretir didn't wait, taking any armor and weapons off, and he dove into the river. On the other side, the sons of Thorir, another friend of the Norwegian throne, were relaxing on their travels to see King Olaf, until a troll burst in. Thorir's twelve sons had no idea Gretir wasn't a troll. Gretir, who hadn't slept in days, and whose shape was distorted because his cloak had frozen to his body, couldn't speak because of the cold, so he just grunted. The sons of Thorir had heard enough stories to know what was happening. They wouldn't wait for the trolls to take them. They attacked. It's said that they had spread a bunch of straw out on the floor, on which they had built a fire. First, in a thatch hut, this seems like a terrible way to build a safe fire, and this design flaw was exacerbated when, seeing a troll burst in through the door and having no weapons on hand, they used the burning logs. The sons of Thorir tossed the logs at Gretir, but they weren't great at aiming, so they hit the walls and door first. Then, they charged the beast. Gretir, who I guess just thought they were being super helpful, snatched a log from one of their hands, grunted out a, thanks, and shut the burning door behind him. He kept the flaming log above his head as he swam back across the river and used the flame to kindle a blaze in the boats. He and his men shared it with the merchants. The storm cleared up the next morning, and both parties crossed the channel now that it was safe to do so in their boats. Gretir looked at the dozen skeletons surrounded by the ash of a thatch hut. Huh, bummer. That's why you don't build fires on the floor and throw burning logs at strangers. The merchants though, had a different impression of what happened. They only knew two things. Twelve men had fire in their hut, 
and Gredier, the son of Asmund, the famously gruff and angry adventurer, had gone over to speak with them and quarreled. He killed them and burned the bodies to hide his crime. This is the crime that Gredier had to answer for when he finally stood before King Olaf in what should have been a super cool and fun meet and greet. King Olaf, who didn't want to anger the famously strong Icelander before him, said that he wanted to believe that Gredier was innocent of the crime, as Gredier said, but the only way to prove it was to carry the iron. Now, in the Middle Ages, there was a custom to prove innocence. Basically, someone heated a chunk of iron until it glowed orange and then dropped it in the hands of the accused. That person then had to carry it a distance, drop it, and have their hand bandaged. If, in three days' time, the wound was healed, the person was innocent. It was called an ordeal by fire, and it was assumed that God would intervene on behalf of the innocent and heal them by miracle. Well, on the day of the trial, while they were heating up the iron, a crowd gathered in the church because they didn't have Netflix yet, so, you know, what else were they going to do? And public torture was fun for the whole family. Because, yeah, a kid slipped into the torture area and just jumped right in front of Gretier. He was, quote, a young and quite ugly boy who really just laid into Gretier. This whole thing was an outrage. This country calls itself Christian, but this murderer had been given the chance of an ordeal as the boy, no joke according to the text, danced in front of him, making faces and giving him the finger. Gretier twitched. For a flash, the boy's face was gone. It was Glam's face, the one he saw every night, watching him after he closed his eyes. The boy kept laughing at him, calling him the son of a sea troll and all sorts of horrible names. All the while, more and more, Gretir stopped seeing the boy. He only saw the gray, rotting flesh of Glam, his corpse eyes, and his black and green teeth, laughing, always laughing. The next thing Gretir knew, the king's men were piling on him, holding down his clenched fists. Others were carrying the boy away. There was blood. The boy wasn't moving. Was he dead? In the back of Gretir's mind, Glam laughed. Since flying into a rage and knocking a child out cold isn't a good way to start any legal proceedings, especially one where someone is accused of murder, the ordeal was canceled, and Gretir was once again brought before the king. Gretir asked for another trial, but Olaf only laughed. Gretir punched a child. He had a shot, and now he had to live with the consequences of his actions. He wouldn't get to serve in the court of King Olaf, no matter how good of a fighter he was. Child punching aside, Gretir was rash and ill-fated. Olaf sighed. For what it was worth, the king didn't think that Gretir was responsible for what happened in the burning of the hut. So here's what he would do. He would give Gretir a chance to go home and put this violent life behind him. Gretir was a big guy and his father had been a landowner. He probably owned part of his own farm by now. I mean, if his father hadn't disinherited him. Is that a sore subject? Anyway, he should go home and work with his family. Settle down, have some kids. Olaf wasn't declaring Gretir an outlaw, but he didn't want to see Gretir again, partially for Gretir's own sake. Gretir agreed. What other choice did he have? As Gretir left the town, the thought of returning to Iceland was the only comfort. The thing he had once detested most was now all he wanted. Glam told him that he would be alone for the rest of his days. But maybe he could beat this curse. 
maybe he didn't have to be alone. Of course, things can't just be easy for Gretir. As he traveled, he had no way of knowing that, in the time it took to travel through Norway, gain an audience with the king and punch a child, others have been traveling as well. Gretir might be the berserker-killing, bear-slicing hero of the world, but those merchants he had shared the fire with? They hadn't seen so much that a pile of burned corpses didn't even crack their top five in terms of memorable life experiences. At every stop, they told of Gretir, son of Asmund, and how he murdered people and covered it up with their own fire. And finally, they traveled to Iceland, where the people there learned that their local hero was being disparaged the world over as a monster. The monster they all knew he was. Gretir had no way of knowing that his fellow Icelanders had called together an assembly to declare him an outlaw in absentia. It wasn't like before either. There was no end date for the sentence. He would now be a man without rest, hunted by his own people. As Gretir looked toward the horizon, toward home, and smiled, he had no idea that his troubles had only just begun. We'll conclude Gretir's wonderful, complicated, bizarre saga next week. If you'd like to support the show, first, thanks for just listening, leaving reviews, and telling friends. You're awesome. But there's also the Myths and Legends store. It's back up at mythpodcast.com slash store, and we have new shirts and new colors, as well as the awesome sticker pack with Bobby Yaga, the Buttercat, and the Clericon, the Leprechaun's drunk cousin. Once again, check out mythpodcast.com slash store or just follow the link in the show notes. The creature this week is the Sapin from the folklore of East India. The Sapin is a truly tragic creature because it's a monster, but it doesn't know it's a monster. It just thinks it's a person with a giant cobra tattoo looking for love. And it finds love. A lot of love. The Sapin is an irresistibly beautiful person, drawing the eye of everyone around. They will attract a partner, get married, and after a few days or weeks or months of wedded bliss, that person will die. The Sapin will eventually heal and move on and meet someone new. They will get married and live happily until they don't. Live, that is, because it will happen again. Blame is never cast on the beautiful person because the death is always accidental and unrelated. But when it happens seven times in a row, maybe it's that person. I say this is truly tragic because there are two sides to the Sapin. There's a side that's just really, really ridiculously good looking, who just wants to be loved. And then there's the snake inside them that just wants to feed. Because when the moon is full and properly aligned, whatever that means, the snake tattoo will come to life into a Naga-like creature with a human upper body and a snake bottom half. They'll slither across the bed, biting the tip of the Sapin's partner's tongue while they sleep, draining them and marking them for death. Neither the partner nor the Sapin has any awareness of this, the Sapin having their human consciousness separate from their monster nature. I hope for the Sapin's sake, after seven deaths, the Sapin can finally settle down and find love. And I don't know if this is some sort of metaphor for some inherent pain or toxicity that someone can't understand yet keeps them from finding love, but really, if the person you're dating has both a cobra tattoo down their back or thigh and 
literally all of their past lovers are dead, you can still date them. Just make sure that you're number eight. That's it for this week. Myths and Legends is by Jason and Carissa Weiser. Our theme song is by the band Broke for Free, and the Creature of the Week music is by Steve Combs. There are links to even more music in the show notes. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll see you next time.